Conversations with Pioneers, hosted by Refilue Tobeja. She's a go-getter. What I want to know is, what's the number one criteria you looked for in proposals and requests for funding? Resilient, without a doubt. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you're a leader. Intelligent, most definitely a thinker. She sets the pace. Welcome to yet another edition of Conversations with Pioneers, and I'm your host, Rifilwe Tobeka. I just want to thank everyone who is listening to, downloading, and sharing our podcast wherever you are in the world. Please keep doing it. We appreciate your support. We are on all major podcast platforms. Today I'm in conversation with Sabata Mpomokai, who's an academic, novelist, and translator. He teaches creative writing in African languages at the Soplaki University in Kimberley, Northern Cape. He has written an accessible biography, the story of Sol T. Plaki and Setswana novels, Hakimudisa, Dikeledi, and Molito Wamanong. Welcome to the show, Sabata. Thank you so much, Refilwe. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. What a cold morning. Are you nice and warm? How are you doing? I'm okay. Yeah, it is a cold morning. I thought winter was gone, winter was history, and then we wake up in the morning. <laughs> it's cold again. Somebody was saying summer is delaying to come because people's summer bodies are not ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, with, uh, with the COVID, that... Um, has stopped people from going to the gym and so on. Mm. There's there's an element of truth in that. You know, some bodies are not ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, all right, let's dig in, shall we? Yeah. When did you start writing and when did you know without a doubt that you were a storyteller? Well, you know, I, I grew up in Taung, I, I lived in a village with, with my grandparents, my cousins, mm-hmm. quite a big home. And uh, my grandmother and grandfather were storytellers. My grandfather used to work in the gold mines in what we call gold fields today. Mm-hmm. That is around Velcom, Virginia, in the Free State, before he took up farming, which was really subsistence farming. And then my grandmother, on the other hand, spent her younger days in Sophia Town, where she was working as a domestic worker in neighboring suburbs mm-hmm. and lived in Sophia Town. And you know from Drum Magazine and mm-hmm. um, other written works that Sophia Town was quite a vibrant place. The works of Ken Temba, when I read Ken Temba, mm-hmm. for instance, when I read mm-hmm. Casey Mutisi and so on, these stories are almost the kind of stories that my grandmother used to tell me about, the drinking spots when the police came to arrest people for not carrying passes or ID books. So I grew up around stories. 
my grandmother especially was very protective of me. She didn't want me to be out in the street a lot of times. And the alternative for me was to read. And she said to me, listen, your mother is a teacher. You cannot be anything other than a bookish person. Mm. And so she insisted that I read. But one day I came across a book at home. This is back in Dawing in a village in Matseng, No Longer at Ease by Chinua Achebe, mm-hmm. which was the first English novel that I read from the first to the last page. Mm-hmm. And the story was told so well that I started toying with the idea of writing. Mm-hmm. And I got the idea right there that I, maybe I should write. Maybe I should oh. try this thing. And I think I was doing Standard 7. I think it's called Grade 9 now. Mm-hmm. And I think the book belonged to my mother because she was the only one in the family who had gone to school to that mm-hmm. level where one mm-hmm. could read uh, Achebe. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing or trying to write from high school. About two years or so ago, I found mm-hmm. some of the things that I wrote when I was mm-hmm. that young. Mm-hmm. Of course, they are not not good enough for public consumption, but they do tell me where I started, you know. So what I really call real writing for me was when I started working as a journalist, uh, my first byline with the Mail and Guardian. And I remember very well, I had written about a book, mm-hmm. Martin Kubwekai's novel, Down mm-hmm. Wells. That was in 2004. Mm-hmm. That was my first byline. It was a review of the book. Mm-hmm. And then after that, Mail and Guardian started sending me out to write about theater. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the first time I wrote about theater, I'd gone to watch Drum the movie, wrote about Sophia Town, the play, Malcolm Pecky, which was at uh, the Market Theatre. So the real writing for me started with journalism. I see. Um, until one day when I was writing now for the Sunday Independent, I came to Kimberley to write about Saul Blackie. I think that was 2006. I came to write about Saul Blackie, became so interested mm-hmm. when Dr. Johannesburg called people back at Sol Plaki Museum and said, mm-hmm. please, when you have something, let me know. I would like to come to Kimberley to learn more about Sol Plaki to do work around Sol Plaki. Mm-hmm. And that's when my first book, The Story of Sol T. Plaki, which was a small accessible biography, mm-hmm. started happening. Oh, wow. What inspires you? Well, you, you've really said it, but on a daily, what motivates you to, to write and what drives you to, to tell these stories? I think I met Ndati Don Matera. We met in Brownfontein. We had a conversation because around 2004-2005, I was resident book reviewer on Kaya FM. Mm-hmm. And so when I met him, I invited him to the radio station. We spoke about what drives somebody mm. to write. And he mm. said to me, first of all, is because you have stories that you feel must be shared and they are giving you sleepless nights Mm. and these are stories of your time and so i think what inspires me right now is the present times we are living in is what i see around me because 500 years from now 
when somebody wants to know how was life in 2020, 2021, mm. they mm. should be able to pick up a film, a novel, a song, and know how life used to be. Mm. So I use words as my paint and brush mm. to create this picture that 500 years, 1,000 years from mm. now, somebody we must look be, at yeah. and say, I have an idea of how life used to be. What really gives me sleepless nights are issues of the day, are mm -hmm. things that are moving the nation, are mm -hmm. things that are concerning the nation. So we live in a post-apartheid South Africa, mm. which was a dream for our parents and us when we were growing up. And then what happened? Our heroes became zeros, you mm -hmm. know? So you see people who really gave up so much and dedicated their lives to the struggle for equality, for justice, for non-racialism, now being charged in courts for common crime, hmm. which for me is great betrayal. And these are things that you find in at least two of my novels. In Hakim Odisa, where you have the story of two brothers, Utzile Mutibi and Tebe Mutibi. And Tebe mm -hmm. even went to exile, became the mayor of Christiana, the town in the northwest. Mm -hmm. But then somebody approaches him and say, I want to buy municipal land, but I only have so much money. I don't want to pay a hell lot of money. And then he takes a bribe. His mm. younger brother, who lives in the town, who is a journalist, is now being put in a position where he has to expose mm. his older brother. And so that theme continues in Moleto Wamano, which really means Feast of the Vultures. And who are the mm. vultures today? You know, so the vultures is not only the big companies that are sucking blood out of us. The vultures include those whose names were in the songs we sang in the streets when we were protesting. Those mm. whose faces were on our T-shirts, mm. they, they then turn around to become mm. vultures. So these things are giving me sleepless nights. Yes. And then there is gender-based violence my mm. goodness it it is out of hand my sister mm. so out of hand and for somebody like me who was brought up largely by a grandmother i mean the values that i live by the principles that i live by this are what i got from my grandmother and my mother my grandfather was there but he was a typical grandfather he wants mm. you to do work he wants mm. you to behave well he wants to teach you how to ride a horse. He wants to teach you how to milk the cow. Mm -hmm. But you sit down and have a conversation with a grandmother, and the grandmother mm. teaches you about life and shares mm. all these values with you. And yes. so there's, there's not only strong but beautiful women who brought mm. me up. Mm. I see them. When, when I see the women in my life, I want to see them. And when they are violated, I feel, my goodness, yeah. this violation, what if it was my mother? Yes. What if my sisters are going through this because I'm mm. the only son with hmm. three sisters? And then you, you see how it is handled. I mean, hmm. first of all, women hardly report it because you get to the police station, how many men will be arrested? And those that are arrested 
how many will get to court? Those mm -hmm. that get to court, how many will be convicted? Yes. And how many will believe you? How many will believe and your version of thing. events? You know? That is that is the thing. Who believes you? Yes. And and then we have a big institution called a church, which is very patriarchal. Hmm. Yes. I mean, when you read DK Lady, my second novel, for instance, mm -hmm. you have this 16-year-old brave brilliant woman who mm -hmm. is a head of a household mm -hmm. after her parents' lives were taken away by AIDS-related diseases. Mm -hmm. Then comes a priest from the community who helps from the distance you think, oh, Umfundi Simuruti is yes. helping them, helping them to get to apply for, for welfare grants, to apply for the RDP house, mm -hmm. and so on. And then mm -hmm. Muruti, what he does sexually harasses this girl. Oh, and the gosh. first thing that comes to the mind of this girl is, who is going to believe me? Hmm. You know, luckily, a woman next door, the mother next door, believed her. Mm -hmm. And she was so composed in court, so consistent in court, that it ended up with a conviction of the abuser. But these are exceptions. Many, mm. many times, these cases don't end up with conviction. Mm. And it goes on and on. Workplaces are breeding ground for that. If you listen to stories of women, for instance, in the armed forces mm -hmm. that are very, very patriarchal there, there are horrible stories there, frightening stories there. And these are things that I believe as a writer now, mm -hmm. and because writing is art, I cannot yes. do art for it for art's sake. I must yeah. have a mission. I must have something that drives me and that yeah. wish does not give me a good night sleep. Yes. Yes. It's what must come into my work. It's yeah. what must inspire my work. Wow. You know, I also love it when you answer my next question because I was going to talk briefly about Hakimudisa, Dike Lady, and Mulitlo Amanom, but we've already covered that. So I, I just love it when somebody answers <laughs> my next question. But now, some people write in their spare time while you write, I guess, almost every day. So what do you enjoy on your spare time? Uh, I wish I had a spare time, my sister. You know, <laughs> this writing thing has taken my life. It has taken Honestly, over. Honestly, it has taken over um i mean whatever i do it has to do with writing i mm -hmm. am lucky and i'm using the word lucky because it mm -hmm. does not happen to many people i am lucky that i teach what i do mm -hmm. you know i work at the university where i teach creative writing mm -hmm. so basically i'm living my dream <laughs> you know i love i enjoy i i love hearing this i love hearing stories of and it's not a story you're living it you're living your dream this is what yes. i love hearing you are in alignment you're doing exactly what you are meant to do you are well within your purpose that's it my sister you know so then what i do i mean i have a, a hell lot of books which I started accumulating them when I was doing book reviews for radio mm -hmm. stations, mm -hmm. newspapers that I worked for in magazines in the past, mm -hmm. and then the ones that I got when I was adjudicating in the awards mm -hmm. in the past and so on. So I have a hell lot of books. What I do in my spare time 
is to take a book and read. Amazing. But I've started doing a bit of gardening because growing up in a village, we had to do gardening. We had mm. fish trees at home. I had my own garden fork when I was seven years old. And so I grew up knowing when in the year do I have to plant cabbages and pumpkins and watermelons and so on. And, mm. and I have started doing that again, you know, and, and I'm really, really enjoying it. The other thing that I really love doing is traveling long distances mm. by road. A trip from Kimberley to Springbok is 800 kilometers. Sure. The road is so perfect because we are so few in the Northern Cape. Mm -hmm. So we don't have potholes on highways. We have potholes inside our towns. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Somebody, are you listening? <laughs> you know, and yeah. so driving from here to Springbok, for instance, is so therapeutic. Very the road cool. is clear. And then when you get into Namakwa, at this time of the year, you see a carpet of flowers, beautiful flowers, multicolored carpet of yes. flowers yes. in the Namakwa. And so driving these long distances, are amazing. I mean, I, I enjoy driving from here to Johannesburg, but there are many towns in between, too yes. much traffic in between. I think since I came to Kimberley, I've started to enjoy or even see the value of open spaces and clean air and yes. no traffic. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Mulitra Wamanong is the subject of a mm. master's thesis at the Northwest University while the lady was adapted to theater. So to see your work live beyond the book, how does this make you feel? Just briefly. It's it's a stamp of approval, really. Shortly after Mulitra Wamanong came out in 2018, Professor Shole Shole, who was at that time at Northwest University, said to me, there's a student who has chosen Moletlo Amanong for his master's thesis. And the mm -hmm. thesis is titled Morero Wabuhapa Puso Momoletlo Amanong, which means the mm -hmm. theme of state capture in Moletlo Amanong. Mm -hmm. it, it really feels good. And when I was approached also by a theater company saying that, we want to do this play for younger people around the Northern Cape, and we have interest in Dike Lady. I was over the moon. But what I do also is not to interfere, you know, mm. because these people are scholars and artists in their own right. They need to be given the space to do that. And I said to the guys who are adapting Dike Lady to theater that do your thing. Don't invite me to the rehearsal. I will come during the opening when everybody is there because it's your interpretation of my work. So it's, it's your work, really. And this is the same thing that I said to Professor Lesejo Malepe in Boston, Massachusetts, in the U.S., mm -hmm. who decided to mm -hmm. translate Dike Lady and Hakim Odisa into English. I said to wow. her... Rakhadi, I am not going to interfere. I'm going to read because you're sending this to me and you would mm. like me to read it while it is at manuscript level. But yeah. please know that the translation is your work. Mm. It's a creative process on its own. And yeah. for me, maturity would mean that I give 
distance between me and those who are adapting my work for other platforms or translating it. Mm. Yeah, it really mm. feels good. It makes my heart dance, to be honest. Oh, makes your heart dance. Love that, love that. How important is it to preserve our mother tongue or home languages? And are there enough books being written in Setswana in South Africa? Not enough at the moment, unfortunately. But there is a lot of improvement from the past. There are more people now who are showing interest in writing in mother tongue than 15 years ago. 15 years mm -hmm. ago, everybody who wanted to write, wanted to write in English. I mean, mm -hmm. I started writing in English too until I was interrupted by Sol Plaiki and Nguyu Ationgo. Mm -hmm. But the numbers are growing now. Mm -hmm. The pool is getting bigger. We're getting more works in the granary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we are putting yes. in more works in there. The other thing that is helping us is that more people are now also seeing the value of translating their works into African languages. And also here at the university, one day I had a conversation with Professor Shole about the repatriation of works because Professor Reshias Malope, who wrote Matloko Matloko, argued mm -hmm. in 1974 at the University of the North that Solplaki's novel Muhudi, which is written in English, was essentially mm -hmm. a Setswana novel. And then mm -hmm. Professor Shole and Dr. Eileen Powe at Northwest University carried on with that argument, saying actually the book deserves to be repatriated. Mm. Dr. Limpowe said actually that Muhudi, while it is written in English, it is the first Setswana novel. And so we sat down and we dreamed of this project called Repatriation of Letters, where ah. we looked for books written in English by Setswana-speaking authors and commissioning translation into the author's mother tongue. And so the repatriation is retaining it to its linguistic base. But also we see people like Lorato Trock who are yes. writing, who are translating day and night. And this is increasing the work. Between us and Botswana and uh, people who speak Setswana in Namibia and Zimbabwe, there are no borders anymore. We don't use mm. passports. We gather on the internet and have a gathering there, have a conference there and decide yes. things about our language there and publish across these boundaries. Amazing. But you've also translated two children's books by Kunam Shope, our story Magic to Semaka Sadinani and Stories of Africa to Dinanita Africa, from English to Swana. Why these two books and how did that come about? This was commissioned. So I was approached oh. by University of KwaZulu-Natal Press and mm. they said to me, can you translate this for us? I see. And okay. I mean, I enjoyed that. First of all, I cannot write for children. It's a very special skill. I'm even afraid mm -hmm. of trying it. But translating these children's books was an amazing journey for me. The mm -hmm. book that I've been translating on my own without being commissioned is mm -hmm. So Long a Letter by Mariama Ba. It's what I really call a feminist novel, the first feminist hmm. piece of work that I read hmm. that moved me so much. Mm -hmm. I think by the time I decided that I'm going to translate this into Zizwana, I had read it four or five times. And so hmm. on my own, 
because the story moved me and because I felt that this story needs to be heard by people who are not necessarily reading in English. I thought, let me take it up and translate it on my own. I will find a publisher somewhere. If there is no publisher, I'll donate manuscripts to archives mm. and people mm. will find it for research purposes. Amazing. So some of the awards that you've won include the Mnet Literary Award for Best Setswana Novel in 2013 and the Mnet Film Award also in 2013. What are some of the most recent ones? Well, the most recent award is the Humanities and Social Sciences Award, which was the first time I got an award for an academic publication. So for the past seven or eight years, I've been working with another Sol Blackie scholar, Brian Whelan, who lives in the UK. Our long-term project was putting Sol Blackie's letters, because he was a prolific letter writer, putting his mm-hmm. letters in one book mm-hmm. and writing context of these letters, because our argument was that through the so many letters that he wrote, he has actually written his autobiography. And so we took these letters, arranged them chronologically, and wrote the context. It took us seven years to come up with a book titled Salty, like a life in letters. But in the process of writing that book, we thought that Solplaki's novel, Mahudi, will be turning 100 years since it was written in the year 2020. And we then thought that let us have an academic volume. Let's invite academic colleagues to write chapters to reflect on the book from their different angles uh, as feminists, as historians, as professors of literature, talk about the land, talk about Solplaki's creativity and so on. Mm. And that book won us the Humanities and Social Sciences Award. Which I really think the award is not just for Professor Brian Wheeler and I, it is also for mm. the people who have contributed in this book. People like Professor Shole Shole, Dr. Eileen mm. Powe, Professor Zix Mdab, Professor Anki Kroch, Sizakele mm. Nkosi, Christopher Themen, Lawrence Wright, mm. and others who have contributed to this book. Before that Amazing. one, I got a the novel award in the South African Literary Award. That's the one I want us to Molito talk about. Yes, that's yeah. the one I, I want us to <laughs> zoom in on. I, I appreciate and all, all the other awards and congratulations, but let's zoom in on the South African Thank Literary you. Award, which is awarded to South African writers who have distinguished themselves as groundbreaking producers and creators of literary excellence in the depiction and sharing of essay histories, value systems, philosophies, and art as inscribed and preserved in all 11 official languages. <laughs> And Sutwana, you got it. How did winning this award make you feel? I mean, you were in the category of people by Africans and other African languages. Yeah. 2019 one on Molekloa was very special because there you have South African books put on the same level. There was yes. no cate- special category oh, for African mm. languages. Oh, you know, okay. you judge them equally, you know. Wow. So you have English novels pitted against Tswana novels, Isizulu Imagine. novels, and so Imagine. on. It really made me feel really good. But the other yeah. thing is that what I said to one of our rising stars, Tuelo Khabunewe, 
another Setswana novelist, was that it cannot be business as usual. We cannot write the way those who came before us wrote. We have to break new ground. I mean, Duelo has written the first erotica novel in Setswana, Dinozi, which is out of this world. Write political thrillers in our languages, Mm -hmm. write erotica in our languages, write sequels, because Muletwa Manong is a sequel of Hakimudisa. So eventually, Mm -hmm. I will write a third one, which will then complete a trilogy. This will be the first time we will have a Setswana trilogy. We stretch ourselves. We do things differently. There are things Mm. we don't agree with that happened in the past. There are things that we Mm. need to change. There are proverbs that will never make it into my work. In my books, I will never have that. Mm. Because I Mm. don't believe that if something was said Mm. in 12... 50 or in 1652 or in 1700 it simply becomes wisdom Mm. and i think that we have inherited things uncritically and Mm. we never asked whether these things are relevant for the times we are living in you cannot have at this time when we're teaching boys that you cannot use violence as a solution to anything and yet we still say to them and our languages beautiful as they are they have to undergo change just recently i was talking about names of the week for instance we call sunday which is a church bell and there's an assumption there that Botswana, all of them, are Christians, which is not necessarily the case. Musupuloho, I equate Musupuloho to Morebas, because Musupuloho says, Supuloho kabona wrong, which ignores the fact that Botswana kebarua home, they did not have Monday, they did not have concepts of going to report to bus on Monday. Hmm. And, and yet, we have this day that says to you, Morebas, these are things that we need to change and for me it is not language or literature academics that are going to change Mm. language Mm. and how we use it it is people who are writing music who are writing novels who are writing films and for me i would always put double hp high up there i'll put momolimi high up there because their contribution to Setswana language mm-hmm. surpasses the contribution of those who lock themselves up in offices, in universities that are ivory towers and speak mm-hmm. to each other until they retire. You find mm-hmm. that somebody has just been speaking to the same group of 20 people until he retires at the age of 65. And, and all he did was keep on reproducing that which was done before they came. And as a writer who is read now, I have a voice, I have an audience, and I can change with my friends who are writers, who are filmmakers. We sit down as a group of friends and say, guys, we are not going to use this word and this word and this word because we don't agree with it. Absolutely. So this week I received on LinkedIn a message from someone saying, I'm a writer too and looking to build on it, but I haven't really gained as much exposure and confidence. What advice do you have? 
for this person? Well, I mean, the first thing is to put in hours, put in hours exactly. into reading, put in hours into writing, and not mm-hmm. everything that you are writing must be published. Mm-hmm. You write because it is a lifestyle, it is a practice, you do it every day. And usually, when you send your work to be published, you have much more work that is somewhere, kept somewhere in your hard drive that you thought was not good enough. Mm. And so I think the first thing is for these people who are starting now to read furiously, read all the time and write Mm. every day because it's Mm. your life, you practice. And the other thing, birds of a feather flock together. Find people Mm. who do the same thing because writing is a lonely trade. Find people who will talk about writing who'll talk about their challenges, go to book festivals, join book clubs online or wherever they are. That is where you get exposure. You get exposure because somebody listened to you, because somebody shared about you. And then have peer reviewers, peer reviewers just being friends whose interest is nothing but to make you a better writer, share your work with them, listen to what they are saying, rewrite, review, edit yourself all the time. So every writer needs to have that, needs somebody who will read their work and review it or discuss it with them and say, I think your characters are not convincing here. They don't look like real people. Or your Mm -hmm. setting is problematic here and there. The the glamorous part of writing is having a book out there. But what goes on before that book is a hell lot of work. And when you get Mm -hmm. rejected by publishers, move on to the next one. If you are lucky enough to get a rejection letter where reasons are stated, pay attention to those and see if you can improve and send back to the same publisher or to another publisher so you keep on trying so you don't give up because you're rejected by two publishers south africa has a hell lot of publishers right now everywhere i mean small independent publishers they even have a directory of their own mainstream publishers they have an association of their own called Publishers Association of South Africa. So there are many. Knock on all those doors before you decide that I'm going to publish myself. Because if you publish yourself, that is good. But who rejects himself? You're going to decide that my work is good enough. And so I am putting it out there. And then what do I do after that? When people don't buy my book, I blame them for not reading. (laughs) When people are not reading, writers must also ask themselves questions. Did I write a good enough book? Is it value for their money? Because it's not your money. You cannot demand Mm. that people Mm. must just go spend their money reading your work when you have not respected them with respectable Mm. work. Hmm, hmm, profound. Where do we find you on the streets of social media? Because at some point I have to live in Libya. I am on Facebook, Sabata Mpomokai, mm-hmm. uh, 
Twitter is at Mukai Writer. Mm-hmm. On Instagram is Sabata Mpo. So I am available on those three platforms. Um, mm. I've been advised many times to set up a website and mm. I have always been saying, I don't think my work is enough to populate a website, but I think I will have a website in the mm-hmm. beginning of next year. You know what? Sabata Mpomogai continue to create groundbreaking Sizwana work, making Sizwana fashionable. We salute. Thank you so much, my sister. I still pay <laughs> tribute. Welcome. I still pay tribute to you for doing such a marvelous work. Writers are always in their corners there, and you are just bringing me to readers, and you are bringing pioneers to people who are interested in them, people who have lessons to learn from them, people who share stories with them. So. It is amazing. I also would like to pay tribute to those who have made me realize that it is possible to create art in my language and that art be mainstream. So WHP made Setswana fashionable. May his soul rest in peace. His contribution will always mean a lot to us. History will always be kind to him. I also want to pay tribute to a member of my broader family who made me realize that it is indeed possible to write in Setswana and be mainstream. So, Obutu Homolemo, Dr. Homolemo Mugai, wherever you are, for showing me the way. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much, Ramogai. You're welcome. And thank you for for all the wonderful words that you just shared about our platform. It's it's amazing to have conversations with pioneers like yourself. It's so inspiring. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Tell us what you think on our email, info at refuletobeha.com. Find me on my socials on Facebook page, refuletobeha, Instagram and Twitter at refuletobeha. And I am refuletato-tobeha on LinkedIn. Keep leveling up. Chat to you soon. Conversations with Pioneers, hosted by Refuletobeha.